You're listening to teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to MidtownColumbia.com. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, I go my aunt. I get the privilege of serving here as pastor at Midtown Two Notch. If you are a visitor, especially if this is your first time, we're very excited, very glad to have you here with us this morning as we get set to worship. We are beginning, well, not beginning, we're working through a series that we're just calling In Columbia As Is In Heaven, where we are praying and seeking the Lord that he would change Columbia to look more and more like heaven every day. Uh, if you have a, a, a Bible near you, go ahead and turn to Psalm 84. We'll be getting there in a little while. Again, Psalm 84. We'll be getting there in just a little bit. We've got a couple other scriptures that we'll be getting to first. I'll throw the other ones up on the screen so you don't have to turn there. Uh, I said a few weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago, uh, one of the foundation scriptures for this series will be 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It'll just be 17 through 20. So I'll read those. You can go ahead and continue turning to Psalm chapter 84. We're seeking the Lord to see him continue to transform our city, our communities, our homes, our schools for his glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 17, says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So what Paul is writing to the Corinthian church here is that all who are in Christ have been transformed, have been made new, have been renewed. When you chose to follow Jesus, you didn't just start making different decisions. If you're actually a believer in Christ, he changed you. He, he transformed you from the inside. This is his plan. This is his goal for all who follow him, who place faith in in him, and he has reconciled us to himself, and it says, and he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So, the same thing that he has done to us, he wants to continue to do through us. That he has reconciled us to himself, now he wants to use us to reconcile others, reconcile the world back to himself as well. We'll continue in verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And this is the means and how he does that in verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Sorry, God making his appeal through us. So the way that he is seeking to reconcile the world to himself, to bring ongoing transformation to the world, is he makes his appeal through us, his transformed and renewed ambassadors. An ambassador is someone that lives in a foreign land to represent the culture, the ideals, and the way of life of their homeland. So us being citizens of heaven are his ambassadors here stationed on earth to represent our God. He transforms us, makes us new, and then uses us to continue on with the ministry of reconciliation. Here's what that means for us. As a church that seeks to see Columbia look more and more like heaven every day, our method for pursuing this, this transformation in our world isn't primarily Holy Spirit-empowered sermons, but it's primarily a Holy Spirit-empowered people. Amen. It's not primarily by pulling off compelling events and services. It's primarily our method for seeing Columbia change is primarily that God's Spirit would so change us and allow us to walk in His holiness that we become compelling people that make people stop and think, what is, what is going on with them? 
what is different about them. That the work isn't primarily on one or two people, maybe the people who are primarily up front speaking and preaching, but it is on all of us. We are all called to be his ambassadors, and that is how he changes the world. He makes his appeal through us. I want to, with the exception of last week, when we had a a service centered around children can know God too, we're going to focus on one of what we call our covenant practices at Midtown. For everyone who has become a member uh, at Midtown, one of the covenant practices that we agree to, the one that we'll focus on this week, is abiding with God through meditating on the Word and through prayer. Abiding with God through meditating on His Word and through prayer. I want to first make sure we have an understanding of what I mean when I say abiding with God. And and, uh, from here on out to talk about the same concept, I'll use uh, the phrase spending time with God. I want to explain exactly what I mean when I say that. Do you have anyone in your life that just their presence with you makes you feel better? Anyone who, if they're they're just with you, whether you're having conversation or not, just an, an acknowledgement of the other person there, when you spend time with them, it's just a blessing to you. Their presence just blesses you for one reason or another. Who is that for you? Who do you love to be around? For a sermon about almost two years ago, I went and asked some, some friends of mine about that very same question, and here's what they had to say. I changed the name, so these aren't their real names, but I use the, term, I use the name Lisa. She said, to me, my mom's presence meant the world. There were days I would fake being sick so I could stay in her presence. I just didn't want to leave my mom. She brought such comfort and unconditional love. I knew that she was for me. In any situation, she was for me. Lisa went on to say, it's, and she said her husband's name. She said, until he gets home from work, I can't really relax. Once he's home, I can just settle in and there's a peace and a joy and a relaxation. Him getting home is like a Sabbath. He is that person who always shows up when it's hard in situations when people would want to not be there. He is just there. She said there's a rest when her husband is around. Another woman, I'll say Jessica, says whenever anything goes down in life, I want my mom around. My mom's presence brings comfort because she has always been faithful to me. When she's around, I have comfort because I know her heart towards me. She has good plans for me. She has promised that as long as she's alive, I'll always be taken care of. And she has always worked towards that. Therefore, therefore, her presence reminds me that I always have one person here fighting for me on this earth. She says she finds comfort in the presence of her mom because she knows that her mom is faithful to her and for her good. Another friend, I'll call him Jason. He said, I think the big one was probably my grandma. There was a period where there was a lot of turmoil in my life and house. She let me come over and created a space where I could be me, and she understood. My family tried to make it where I couldn't see her anymore, and she would still pursue that relationship with me. And when I was asking him this, he just, a huge smile came over his face, and he said, she was almost the escape. So I was like, this is what I need. He went on to talk about, he said, his uncle Johnny was one of the most quiet people he's ever met. Amidst the craziness in my life, he was the only man who was faithful and always there. Didn't do anything seemingly significant or crazy. He'd just sit with you, but somehow had this unique presence. He was just Uncle Johnny. 
And Lisa made a point that I summarized a lot of what was being said. She said, the comfort of them, people whose presence you enjoy, she said, the comfort of them being there inspires courage. And it's just like, I can go on. I am more hopeful because you are here. I can trust you to help me get through this. My friend Jason, he was struggling for words. And he was like, I don't know, man. It's just Uncle Johnny. And I think if you have anybody like that in your life, you might struggle to find words to describe it as well. It's like, I don't know, man. It's just them. I just like being around them. It's something about their presence that is a blessing to me. So we talk about abiding with God today and spending time with him. My one primary goal is to help us enjoy spending time with God, enjoying his presence, that he would be your person, so to speak. The one who, hey, this is the person that I want to be around more than anyone else. I want to spend time with my God because I know him, he knows me, and I know who he is. The term abide means to be with, to dwell with, to remain with someone or something. As I said a little earlier, you can be in someone's presence, but not be spending time with them if you do not acknowledge their presence. So the two ways that I want to talk about acknowledging God's presence today is through, uh, is through meditating on his word, which is primarily how he speaks to us, and through prayer, which is how we speak to him. Meditating on the word of God, which is the primary way that he speaks to us, and praying, which is how we talk to him. We ought not to only be aware that God is present, but we should acknowledge his presence through prayer and through meditating on his word. Again, we'll be in Psalm 84 today. I'll briefly work our way through the passage and make a couple points as we go. Psalm 84 verse 1 reads, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. The word lovely means it's something that is loved, it's beloved. He's expression that people just love to be in the presence of God. He says, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Make sure you understand that word, courts. In, in the tabernacle or the temple at that time, there were these outer courts, which is before you actually got into the building or really got into the covered part of the tent, there was these outer courts. Many people would call it the courtyard, where you where God, now God's presence was mostly manifest in the, in, the, in the place called the Holy of Holies, right in the middle of that tabernacle. This is, he's saying, just in the courtyard. He's saying how, how much joy there is or how much his soul longs just to be in, in the courtyard, just to be around the presence of God. Verse 3, even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. That word blessed means happy or glad. He's saying happy and glad are those who dwell in your house, or those who spend time with you ever singing your praise. As he continues on in verse 5, we see this language, that this journey type of language where he's talking about many people would travel great distances to go to the tabernacle, go to the temple to spend time with God. Verse 5, blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca. They make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Verse 8, O Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield 
Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. And verse 10 is probably my favorite in the chapter. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. At this time, again, when, as God was seeking to dwell with his people, he did that by, he, he, David said, I, God, I want to make you a house. I have this palace and you're in this tent. And he said, I want to make you a house. And that house, the house of God, so to speak, is the temple or was the temple at that time. And God's presence was manifested and more revealed there than any other way, even though God is technically everywhere. And I think because of that, people have a little bit of confusion about what the, the, temp, the modern-day temple is of today as, as New Testament Christians. Because the temple is no longer a building, right? The, the, the church building is not a temple. It is not the, the house of God, right? Paul does say what the house of God is in 1 Corinthians. He says it's actually two different things. The first one he says in 1 Corinthians 3, chapter 16, Do you not know that you are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in you. Now, you got to understand one thing that's hard to get out of these English translations is that that is a plural you. And the context of this verse is he is rebuking them for the division that they have, which is a communal sin. Right. It's a collective church wide sin that is going on. And he's telling them, don't you know that you or you all are the temple? He's saying the people of God are the temple of God. This makes sense when you think about what Jesus said when he said, therefore, when two or three are gathered together in my name, I am what? In the midst of them. He's saying the people of God, the collective people of God are the temple, that his presence is experienced in the earth when the people of God come together and live as we have been called to live. He says the people of God, plural, are the temple. Now, there's a second temple, he says, three chapters later, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. He says our physical bodies are the temple as believers. That the very presence of God lives in us. The very presence of God that people would travel miles and miles and cross deserts to get to, he says, now lives in you through the Holy Spirit. You don't have to travel to get to the presence of God. Christ has already paid the price when he died on the cross in our place. In in that place that I talked about earlier, the most holy place, there was this veil that stood in between that place and everywhere else. And and in that, back behind that veil was where God's presence was experienced and manifested more intensely and more perfectly than, than anywhere else. And when Christ died on the cross for his people, the veil was torn. What he's saying is what that means is everyone who is in Christ now has access to the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. The presence of God travels with us. We don't have to go find it. The presence of God is in us, always with us. What a blessing it is that God's presence is in us every day of our lives. I want to talk about two different things, two different ways from this chapter, that the presence of God is a blessing to us. Two different ways that spending time with him is a blessing 
to us, coming just straight from the text. The first one is spending time with God gives us joy. Amen. Spending time with God gives us joy. I thought I'd get a couple more amens on that, but I appreciate that one on the front row. Amen. I'll start with verse 4. Psalm 84, verse 4. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. That word blessed means happy, glad, joyful. He's saying happy and joyful are those who dwell in your house. Those who are able to spend time with you experience happiness and gladness and joy and ever sing your praise. He's saying happy and glad and joyful are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways designed. He's saying those who spend time with you and draw strength from you, their heart leads them to you. In their hearts are the highways to Zion, the highways to your presence. Verse 10 says, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. He's saying that no no matter how much any other place has to offer me, I get more out of one day in your presence than a thousand days anywhere else. He's saying if, if I was in this other place for a thousand days getting all the joy that I could possibly get from that place, I will get more pleasure and more joy and more fulfillment from one day with you than a thousand elsewhere. He says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in your house, in the house of my God, than dwell in the tents of wickedness. He's saying that the doorkeeper was probably the person maybe of the lowest level of status in a house. The person, they're just watching the door. They're not really in the house. They're kind of on the outskirts of everything. He said, I would rather just be the doorkeeper, just kind of on the outskirts, just near you, just around your presence, than to be able to dwell in the middle of the tents of wickedness. He's saying, I get more blessing and more joy just from being close to you, just from being close to your presence, than I can get getting all the pleasures that a sinful lifestyle has to offer me. I get more just from being around you than all the pleasures of sin could ever offer me. If I indulge myself to the highest degree, I get more from being in your presence than I get from that, is what the psalmist is saying here in verse 10. There is more good, more joy to be had around the presence of God than there is living right in the middle of the pleasures of sin, the fleeting pleasures of sin. Of sin. I love Psalm 16, Reads, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That word fullness means being full to the point of satisfaction. It means to have enough of something. Elsewhere, a psalmist uses the same word to say that someone ate bread to the field. That's, that's that word fullness. It means I ate so much I didn't need anymore. I ate so much that I was good. I, I, I had as much as I can take at this time. What he's saying is in the presence of God, there is the fullness of joy to the point of satisfaction, to the point of, hey, I'm good. I'm good now. No matter what's going on, no matter how my life is going, it's not going the way that I thought that it would go. I'm good in the presence of God. I wonder if you find escape and rest in the presence of God. I wonder if you enjoy spending time with him, knowing that there is joy to be had in his presence. There's real joy there because of the one we are spending time with. I want to go back to Psalm 84, 11. 
It says, for the Lord God is a sun and, a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk upright, uprightly. Generally speaking, you enjoy being in the presence of those that you know are for your good. Generally speaking, you enjoy being in the presence of those that you know delight in you and love you and like to be around you. The psalmist says here that our God is a sun and a shield. He's a sun. He, he, he is where we, we receive what we need for life. And he is the shield that protects us from what the enemy might do to destroy that life that he has given us. He's the sun, he's the source of what we need, and he's the shield, he's our protector, he has our good in mind. It says no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly, that he does not withhold good things from his people. Do you trust him? That he has your good in mind, that he is your son, he is the shield. Do you trust him? Because if so, I believe you would enjoy spending time with him. If you know that he is a real person, this is Christianity, again, it's not some collection of theological ideas that we accumulate together, but it's, it's about us being with God himself. It's about us being with him. Grace is just not some concept that we talk about. It's a person that extends grace to us. His love, his mercy is a reflection of who he is. It means that he is good. Christianity is about getting God. It's not about getting a better life in this life. It's about getting God. It's about we get to know him and be with him and enjoy him. His love is real. It's rich. It's pure. It endures. He delights to spend time with us. We find joy in his presence. The second point that I want to make is spending time with God refreshes us and gives us strength refreshes us and gives us strength. I had a Facebook post this week where I asked people, how does spending time with God bless them? One person said, when I'm in the Word consistently, I'm able to love those around me with so much more patience and grace. I see patience and grace in the character of God, and it pushes me to be the same towards others. What is this person saying? I have strength to live the way that I am called to live and desire to live because I have spent time with my God. They are strengthened to live as they were created and born and designed to live. Another person said, I feel like that's a hard question because it does different things for me in different seasons of my life. In times of anxiety, the stories of the Old Testament remind me why, God, why God's control is good. In times of longing and sadness, it reminds me God is walking through it with me. In times where I feel distant, it reminds me I am a sinner in need of grace. It teaches me and in turn gives me the ability to teach and encourage. This person is finding strength in various aspects of their life just by spending time with our God. Verse 5 in Psalms 84 reads, Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways designed. Verse 7 says they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. The implication here, if spending time with God gives us strength, then the implication is when we don't spend time with God, we're weak. We're weaker. If spending time with God gives us strength, then not spending time with our God, with our creator, makes us comparatively 
weak. We don't have the same strength. I wonder when I was talking about how spending time with God gives us joy, I wonder if you had any cynicism in your heart thinking, I don't know what that is. I don't know what that's about. I've never experienced that. That doesn't sound real and true to me. I wonder if it's because you haven't realized your level of weakness or you don't accept your level of weakness. So being with the one who is the giver of strength is not appealing to you. It doesn't mean anything to you. It's not good news that he is your strength if you don't grasp your weakness. If you don't grasp what you're unable to do without him, then going to him as the giver of strength means nothing to you. Do you see him as a constant source of strength? Do you rely on him as a constant source of strength? A prerequisite to being saved is recognizing that you aren't able to save yourself. Repenting from sin is not... A prerequisite, excuse me, to repenting from sin is acknowledging how much you've messed up. A prerequisite to knowing God to be your refuge is you acknowledging the trouble that you are actually in. A prerequisite to knowing God as your peace in the middle of the storm is actually going through a storm that might cause you some worry, fear, and anxiety. A prerequisite to knowing God as your strength is recognizing and acknowledging your weakness. I wonder if you've let the enemy deceive you into thinking that you can actually prosper through today without drawing strength from God. I wonder if you've allowed the enemy to deceive you that you can flourish and be who you were created to be today without running to and drawing from your strength. I wonder if you believe that for the last week, for the last month, for the last year, that you are sufficient in and of yourself to be okay, to be who you were created to be without drawing from the strength of our God. We have trouble acknowledging our weakness sometimes. This is very difficult for us to do. I know of people that experience crippling anxiety, crippling, and are prayerless. And are prayerless. I know people who are controlled by their anger, and every time their anger riles up within them, they lose control of themselves, and they're prayerless. And they spend no time with God. They, they do things and hurt people that they don't want to hurt, people that they actually love. They have this inner wrestling, and they can't seem to practice self-control, and they don't go to God to find strength in him, meaning either they're not acknowledging their weakness or they don't believe him to be their strength. One of the two. Either there's a lack of acknowledgement of the depth of weakness and inability, or there's a lack of faith in scriptures like these that show us that he is our strength. You see, in the Bible, God is often referred to as food and as water. Oftentimes when he's referred to as food, he's referred to as bread. What is this showing us? You ain't going to make it without him. You're not going to prosper and walk in the strength that you need to without drawing from him. That, you, that every now and again, you need some type of, you need some type of consistent rhythm, some, some repetition in your life of drawing from him because he's bread and he is water. Yes. He is what we need. He is who we were designed to be. We were designed to be satisfied and strengthened by him, through him. We were created for this. I love what 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 says, this is Paul writing to the Corinthian church, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That there's an aspect of God's power that we can't experience when we don't, when we aren't weak and when we don't acknowledge our weakness. Jesus said, I didn't, Jesus said, I didn't come to heal those who are well. I came for the sick. He's the great physician. You don't run to him if you don't acknowledge your sickness that you have. You miss out on knowing who he is if you don't acknowledge your weakness. You miss out on being able to experience and appreciate his strength if you don't acknowledge your weakness. So this is what Paul commits to doing in verse 10. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says, I even rise above the suffering that comes in my life because the things that make me feel weak actually allow me to experience and know his strength that much more. All these things are things that none of us would wish upon ourselves or wish upon those that we care about, weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. But he says, no, I'm content in these because it's there that I get to know his strength. It's there that I get to draw on his strength. I love the way Jesus talks about it in Luke 18. Truly, I say to you, verse 17, truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. I got three young children, another one on the way. Here's one thing I learned. They are very aware of their inabilities. They are very aware of they, their need of help, and they don't mind asking over and over and over again. They don't mind continuing to come to you. Will you help me with this? Will you do this for me? That's, Jesus said that is how you enter the kingdom. Needy, helpless, in need of somebody stronger and wiser and bigger than you are to help you just to get through the day-to-day of life. He says those who will actually enter the kingdom come as a child. We go to him as children, needy, broken, desperate, and weak. And that is the way that we actually truly find strength. That is the way we actually truly walk in strength. I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. Um, my family, we just moved into a new home. It's a huge, tremendous blessing for us. And we wanted to do something different with the floors upstairs. So uh, I had the great idea because it's cheaper that I would redo floors. Have I ever redone floors before? No. Do I know what I'm doing? Not really. But we were working. Y'all know it's, it's, it was August in, it's August in Columbia. And so working extremely hard, sweating. And I see, I have this problem. I have, um, I think what they call a sugar addiction. And so... I, I don't drink a lot of water because I want something sweet, right? I love, y'all know, I love lemonade. I, t- I love apple juice just because it's sweet, just because it's sweet. Those who know me, y'all know I love apple juice. Anyway, my point is this. My wife bought just a crate of bottles of water and just put as many as could fit in the bottom part of the fridge as she could. And in one day, I, I legitimately think, well, probably in two days, I think I drank more water than I had drank in the week before then. Just pure water. I couldn't get enough of it. I couldn't stop putting it down because I, I, was, I was sensing, hey, this is what I need. I am thirsty. I need water. And in the same way, those of us who are believers that don't acknowledge our weakness, we're, we're like those who are thirsty but not running through the actual source when we could actually be satisfied if we went to living water where we could actually find the strength that we need. Because, y'all, I was like, yo, I'm not going to make it. I need to continue consuming this water. And look at what, what Psalm 84 verse 2 says. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. 
My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. He says, my soul is not going to make it if I don't spend time with God. My soul, I'm not going to be able to live and be and flourish the way God has created me to do so if I am not spending time with God. And here's the deal. The same is true for you. And the same is true for me. That our souls need and long for and crave the very presence of God. In a few minutes... We're going to trans- transition into a time of, of communion. Jesus instituted on this on the night that he was betrayed, the night he was taken away to be crucified. He told his disciples to do this in remembrance of me. So he broke the bread. He passed it out. He says, this is my body that was broken for you. He took the cup. He passed it. He says, this is my blood shed for you. Today, when we partake in communion, I want us to, to do it in remembrance of him, specifically remembering the fact that he died that we could be with him. That we die, that he died so that we could know his presence and spend time with him in this life and forever in the next. That this is why his body was broken. And when his body was broken, when his blood was shed, we gained access to experiencing and enjoying the presence of God that lives inside of us. That when he died, the veil was torn. And the access to the presence of God was thrown open to all who are in him. Today we'll do communion a little bit different. I want to give us some space, give us some time to just spend time with the Lord today during communion. So we'll take communion as we normally do. We'll have music playing uh, in the background, but we're also going to give you some time when you get to your seats. We're not going to go into congregational singing as soon or as we normally do. We're just going to give you some space to spend time with the Lord. You, You can pray to him. You can talk to him. You can spend time meditating on scripture, there's three specific things. If you're not sure exactly what that might look like for you, that I want to offer up as suggestions to you. The first thing that you can do is say to God what you know to be true about him. The scripture calls this praising God. God, you're faithful. You're good. You're holy. You're loving. God, you're so patient with me. Praising God just in your own personal time, not, not out loud not too out loud. At least if you want to go to a different part of the room, you can do that. If you want to get on the floor, you can do that. Just saying to God what you know to be true about him, just praising him. Another thing you could do is journal and recount his deeds, what he has done. Just write down, God, you've blessed me in this way, you've blessed me in this way, you've blessed me in this way. This is acknowledging his presence. And you can turn those into prayers to God. And the third one is meditating on the scriptures. Meditating on the scriptures. Once communion gets started, we're going to put some scriptures on the screen right here behind me. One thing that you'll notice is that the scriptures that are up there, they'll be up there for a while, probably about five minutes apiece. The purpose of that is so you can just continue to think through the truth that you find in that scripture. And that's what it looks like to meditate on the word of God. If you've read it 10 times, you're like, I don't know what else to do. Read it 10 more times. Pray about it. God, God, help me to understand what this scripture is about. Help me to apply it to my life. Meditate on his words and through it, spend time with our God. Also, once we transition to communion and have that, that time and that space for you to just spend time with the Lord. I said we'll have the, the music continue to play, but we'll also have some singing on stage as well. That's more of background for you. So this, this won't be corporate singing. We'll let you know when it's time to stand up and sing together. But we just want to give you some space and a little bit of room to just spend time with the Lord today, that we will practice abiding with our God through prayer and through meditating on his word. Father, thank you for your presence in our lives. 
Thank you for being with us. Thank you for being for our good. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for making your presence available and known to us. Father, would you help us to take advantage of this time? Father, would you rid us of distractions, Father, and in times that we are, that, we, that our minds may get distracted, would you just help pull us back again and again to focusing in on who you are? Father, we thank you for being able to partake in communion together today. Help us to do this all in remembrance of you.